Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the BP Movie Journal. I'm David Bax. I'm Tyler Smith. And uh, this is our weekly check-in on what we've what we've seen and enjoyed, or not enjoyed, Whoa. over the past week in our lives as filmgoers. Um, and th- thanks to everybody for uh, the feedback on last week. Um, it seems a lot of people are very excited about this. and that's Overwhelmingly nice positive. Yes, which is very exciting. I hope we do not let you down. All right. Um, how do you... We shouldn't. We would try not to do tangents on this, right? But what is maybe this is, should have been an off mic conversation. Do you do this chronologically, or just in order of the thing, like an order of importance? Like uh, I do it in order uh, since the last time you and I recorded, from then until now, chronologically. Chronologically. Okay, that's how I'll do mine. So. I've got a bunch. Okay, uh, before we do that, um, I did want to let everyone know we mentioned it uh, on episode four hundred with Matt Champagne. Uh, there is now. Uh, a commentary available, or rather three of them, on the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. David and I recorded yes. it all in one day. Theatrical editions. Indeed, back yes. Back to back to back, which is how you should theoretically I, enjoy them, but that's I think not how so, you have to. Because then it would make sense why we're getting punchier and punchier. If you yeah. listen to it over a few weeks, you'd be like, why are they silly in the third one? Right. And um, there are, of course, there are running jokes. Yeah. Perhaps jokes that are run into the ground, which is how I, that's I, how I like to run jokes. I don't agree. I think I think they uh, worked out. By the way, uh, you type in you Google Shadowfax Lord of All Horses, you you'll be fine. Oh, okay. Uh, it is confirmed. The internet has confirmed that. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, so yeah, that is available. Battleshipretention.com. You can buy uh the the commentaries individually four dollars each or as everybody else has been doing and as we recommend you can buy all three of them for 10 yeah. so um and what i will say is uh you're you'll be paying through paying for them through paypal uh we've got we've had a few instances in which people uh they'll pay for them and basically what i do is i just send it to the email associated with the paypal account usually that that works out fine but i think there have been a couple of people who do not have an updated email address on their paypal account uh, or maybe they use somebody else's, uh, in which case um, I would say uh, update that. Or if you're paying not through PayPal and it asks for an email address, uh, choose one that you check regularly. Right. So because I want to make sure you guys get this as ti- in a timely manner. So there you go. All right. Let's talk about what we watched. All right. Um, I watched uh, a two an independent film from 2003 called Lost Junction. It wasn't uh, great. Um, okay. by any means, but I'll tell you why I watched it and why it's worth watching. I was going to ask, in what capacity did you watch this? Um, I can't go into too much detail, Okay, but um, but here's why it was interesting to watch it, interested to watch it, and why I liked it. It boils down to two words. Those words are Nev and Campbell. Okay. I am a big Nev Campbell fan, and even though her character... Oh, so you're talking about the... the okay. Yes. Nev Campbell, not two separate people. Oh, no, 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 One of Nev them has Campbell. Nev in um, the name. No, ne- Nev Campbell is... I'm a big fan, Um her character in Lost Junction is kind of problematic in that she's overly childlike, almost simple-minded. But uh, Nev Campbell is... I don't know if you agree with me, but I find her so innately charming in everything that she's in that I don't really care. She does have a charm. I will say that her charm can, in if something is not written remarkably well, she does have kind of a, a, a goofy, one could say a childlike type charisma. So if the character's already written like that, right. uh, she just the way she she enunciates at times can seem a little kid like. But did you see the scene, or I guess the the episode of Mad Men she was in? Are you caught up yet? 
Uh, no, I am not. I'm, I'm okay. a couple, I think a couple seasons behind. Okay. She was a sultry, sexy adult in that one. Okay. Watch out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, Lost Junction. what did you see? What'd you watch? All right. So, uh, top la- of the list here last week at the very top of the list, I literally, I left you alone here to post last week's movie journal. If I'm not oh, okay. mistaken, this is not the one I'm pointing to on the list here. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. That's that's probably third or fourth. Um, I left you alone in my home, which I don't like, so that I could scamper off and see a terrifying screening of Interstellar. Here's why it was terrifying is because I went to see, uh, I believe, an 1135 show of a two hour and 45 minute movie. Is it at- only two hours and 45 minutes? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, it's hard to say, you know, with the time compression right, sure, and all sure, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, but yeah, uh, and I went to the uh, AMC uh, in Century City, which yeah. is a, an outdoor mall. And there's nothing more frightening than, I mean, there were like five people in my screening. I don't know why Century City has these late shows. I went to another one last night. Um, not of Interstellar, but a different film, which I'll get to. Uh, so as I'm... As I'm walking around, and again, outdoor mall, it's completely, nobody is there. And it's like, I could be killed and no one, no one would know. Then I get to the garage. My car is the only one there. And it's like, this is really, cre- I don't yeah. like this one bit. Uh, can, but I also found it strangely relaxing. Can I tell you a story about that mall? Again, oh, sure. a few tangents here. Um, I used to work in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Now, the mall doesn't open until regular mall times. Right. But on the ground floor... Like, essentially, the basement, I guess, mm-hmm. connected to the parking garage, there's a Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. Or, no, or is that? It's a Gelson's. I believe so, yeah. Um, and it opens at grocery store times, early in the morning. I would walk, I would cut through the mall from, like, uh, Constellation Avenue through the mall mm-hmm. to go down the stairs uh, to the Gelson's at, like, 6.15 in the morning, because mm-hmm. I worked early mornings at the, t- at the time. This is probably about six years ago. Um, the music is playing. Oh, I okay. guess, like... The music you would hear when you walk through the mall, like top 40 hits and stuff, but there's no one there. But the sun's up, usually, at 6.15. It really feels like zombie apocalypse. I was going to say, it's that's hard exactly not to imagine like. a zombie apocalypse, yes, that's exactly apocalypse what it at feels that point. Like. Anyway, um, what did you think of Interstellar? Well, boy, oh boy. Uh, I went in not expecting much, based on reviews. I expected it to be, of course, a visual spectacle, uh, but that there wasn't much, wouldn't be much by way of character or story or anything like that. And uh, within probably the first 10 to 15 minutes, I remembered that Christopher Nolan is not an incompetent director. He actually is a pretty good storyteller. Not the best writer, but he's a pretty good storyteller. And um, and especially if he has a cast that is willing to go where he needs to go, and somebody as game as Matthew McConaughey, uh, that carried a lot of weight for me. Uh, the film is not i'm i'm repeating what everybody else says the film is far from perfect uh i really responded to it visually as one would expect i really responded to the music and matthew oh, mcconaughey's like music a lot. yeah and matthew mcconaughey's performance i think is uh, spot on the music will not be for everyone just i think by i guess virtue not. of being so omnipresent you know and so up in the mix and so unabashed about what it is it's all up in that mix you know yeah <laughs> But just being so unapologetically, like, uh, I think in, in my review, I called it ecclesiastical. Ooh. You know, just because it, it's real churchy is what I wanted to say. It really is. Um, and I loved it. I loved that part of it a lot. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because that's Hans Zimmer who, you know, you and I have talked uh, about composers in the past like a Danny Elfman, 
like uh, Carter Burwell and John Williams, all of whom are, I think, great. But after a while, you feel like you kind of get what they're going to do. Uh, Hans Zimmer, in the last few years, has really, I'm not sure if I'd say he's taken some risks, but he has shown himself to be uh, a really a, a malleable uh, composer. Mm-hmm. I think of his his uh, music for Sherlock Holmes, which is playful and fun. Uh, I think the work that he does in The Dark Knight is really interesting because it's atonal. It's, it can barely be called music. It's just there to like, but right. boy, it does the job of heightening mood and yeah, emotion. Yeah. And the music in this, I think, is great. And he's just you know able to go wherever the story needs him to go. And if if the director needs the music to inform the story, he'll do it. Uh, so, but as far as the film itself, uh, you know, I thought the ending was a bit problematic. I went and read your review and you are spot on with your signs thing. And I know you're not the only one to say it, but, um, it reminded me of signs. It also reminded me of contact from many years ago. Also, huh. also featuring Matthew McConaughey. Well, the other, I, yeah, I made, I made reference to Shyamalan a couple times in my review and I chose to go Shyamalan and the other way I could have gone that I had in my mind was James Cameron mm-hmm. because I think. And I've I've thought about this. It's more a movie since, of broad strokes, and the but, details are the but problem. That's the thing. Yeah, he doesn't. But that's the thing. This is my opinion right now on Christopher Nolan post Interstellar. Mm. Is that he's James Cameron, but he doesn't want to admit it to himself. He wants to be I don't know Kubrick or he's Tarkovsky Cameron who or thinks something. He's Kubrick, yeah, yeah. But if you but I love Avatar, and if and, and if Christopher Nolan would stop being so self-conscious and allow interstellar to be his avatar yeah it could have been an incredibly moving experience yeah but i think he is again i use the word he's self-conscious i think he doesn't want to be thought of as that as a james cameron type of crowd pleaser necessarily or at least he doesn't want to be reduced to that yeah whereas i i think that's i don't think that's a good i'm a james cameron fan so uh I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, and I feel like James Cameron, like I said, broad strokes, the details are where I tend to get bogged down. But, of course, he's still a wonderful director of but spectacle. James um, Cameron doesn't make – I know you and I disagree about Avatar. Yeah. But I don't think the details are treated as being as important to the film in James Cameron's films, uh, which is why I think of right. – You think know what? I agree. As, you know, that's why that can become – I think that's more nitpicky. Maybe and Avatar, your problems with Avatar. Maybe I'm being. <laughs> I think uh, I have, I mayor, that's I have major problems with way. character, theme, and story. Those are uh, big things. Okay, but that's not. I really can give I'm you. Talking I can about. give I'm you talking specifics, about like but... science and like the oh, yeah, yeah. unobtainium and stuff like that. I don't care about that. You know what? I, which uh, spoilers for an upcoming episode? I want to do a whole episode about how important is it for a movie to make sense. Because the older I get, the less important it is. Well, it's very important if the movie is not good otherwise. Uh, th- that is true, yes. <laughs> and that's, yeah, um, again, I, I, that's why I like Avatar and I don't like Interstellar. Yeah. Uh, what I will say is, and I apologize, everybody, that uh, this is, you know, this is a very personal thing. But, you know, you mentioned Signs. I thought of Signs and I thought of um, uh, Contact. And, of course, I thought of 2001, as I'm sure we're all meant to. Um, but uh, all of those have... If not spiritual, at the very least, a supernatural quality to it. The thing that got me about Interstellar is it wants all of the benefit of incorporating spirituality into its film, but it doesn't actually want to commit to that. You know what I mean? That's what I said in my review. Yeah, and it just – and it bothers me a lot because it's just like if you had just done this – not I, not merely as as a Christian, but also as a viewer, I think I'd be much more willing to go where you want to go. But as it is, you feel the need to 
bring everything down to like an understandable level, except you're, ha- you're, you're talking about, uh, spoilers, everybody, by the way, skip to like, I don't know, uh, two minutes from now. Like you want it to be, oh, human endeavors, but you also are creating h- humans that are intangible and basically godlike for whom time is not an issue. So it's like, okay, that's basically gods, but you don't want to call it that. And it just, it bothered me. It felt like it was kind of at war with itself. Like they weren't willing to go where the story was naturally taking them. So it was very frustrating at times, but it was still very, moments were very effective. And I'll tell you, um, they've done a really good job of hiding his presence in the film. And we're still in the two minutes that I was talking about. But uh, Matt Damon. Oh, yeah. Is he continues with not unlike The Departed and maybe even The Informant. He continues his streak of playing characters that no other actor would ever want to touch <laughs> because they would look so particularly uh, bad to the audience. It's one thing to play a guy you love to hate. It's another thing to play a weaselly yeah. coward. There are people that just we're way more on Nickel. We're maybe not on Nicholson's side in The Departed, but we're we tolerate him a lot more than we tolerate Matt Damon. Right. And the fact that he would play oh True Grit as well, um, yeah. playing yeah. <laughs> characters that are the butt of jokes, that are cowardly, and that they know we will not like. That's I don't know I I respect him a great deal for playing those roles. Okay, we got to wrap up. We can the, move on. The spoiler. There's part. a lot to. T- I knew when yeah. we when I said it's Interstellar. It's like there's the way, a lot we'll to be, talk about. Uh, we'll be talking about Interstellar a little bit more in the main episode. Watch out. Um, this week, uh, I watched. I you got to help me here, Tyler. I think there's something wrong with me as a cinephile. Okay. Because for the second time in a row, I have enjoyed a Brett Ratner film. Okay. I thought her, I watched Hercules. Oh, it's a blast. I was, it's I, so I thought fun. I might like it. Yeah. It's so much fun. And also, I mean, th- we just got talk, done talking about Interstellar, but even, be- you know, before that, the Dark Knight and Transformers and all this stuff. Thank God. I know that he's a homophobe and he made, and he ruined the X-Men franchise and all this stuff. But thank God Brett Ratner knows how to keep a movie on a hundred minutes long. Yeah. 98 minutes. It's refreshing, isn't it's, it? And it was, it's, it was a fun movie. Um, uh, I, it's, <laughs> I, I'll say this. I normally, uh, with a PG 13 movie, I like to see, did they use the one fuck? Well, eh, this one was a little bit forced in, uh, Hercules says fucking centaurs, which is funny out of context. That is in, funny. Yes. <laughs> uh, in, in the, context you mean to say that in a Hercules movie, the use of the word fuck was forced. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Um, uh, but, uh, it was just really enjoyable. The cast is, is great. Ian McShane, kills it of course um and uh yeah john hurt is in it and uh you know what i was excited to, i was excited to see it but of course it gets swept like for for other people it got swept under the rug by so many other right. bigger quote-unquote more important movies that uh it got put on the back burner but now you know what i think i'm gonna make it a priority yeah it's it's a delight um i don't know that i would say it's as good as tower heist which i would still consider brett redner's best film um but uh i I think I enjoy this guy's movies and maybe I just enjoy his complete lack of pretension, but also it's not just that it's that he's lack of pretension, and, but he still understands, look, he's a hack. Okay. Okay. But I'll take his hackery over Zack Snyder's autourism any day because, or, or Michael it, Bay, maybe Michael Bay is a better example because I think Brett Ratner, uh, again, hack though he may be, has a much better understanding of pacing and story structure. Or, or maybe understanding isn't the right word. He cares more about it. Yeah, he cares more about hitting story beats. And again, maybe you could say that something he's just phoning in. But maybe he's not a hack. Then maybe he's just. Well, I mean, 
<laughs> Come on. But still, uh, <laughs> maybe it's that he started making movies, you know, I mean, in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And so he had an idea of the kind of filmmaker he was and the kind of movies he wants to make. And then Hollywood moved away from that and moved into the self-serious. And he never did, making his movies a, a, a nice, refreshing throwback to what movies co- used to be. Yeah. It, would you say, I, I don't know, I um, haven't seen Tower Heist, nor have I seen Hercules. Would you say that sounds right to you? Um, as far as may, not, maybe like action I, I, movies I mean, I or like comedies. He has, I mean, you say 90s, but I think it's because he has his roots in 80s storytelling. I mean, mm-hmm. it's no coincidence that Tower Heist was sort of a comeback of sorts for Eddie Murphy, because yeah. it seems like the kind of movie Eddie Murphy would have made yeah. in the Trading Places type of era, yeah. era you know? Um, and again, this, I mean, Hercules could have easily come out in the 80s and been... Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, you know, and yeah. uh, the effects are a little, you know, more sophisticated than they would have been then, but it's essentially the same movie you would have seen 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, and m- maybe I'm just getting older and I'm liking, I have nostalgia uh, and I like that sort of, I say nostalgia like it's an, aff- an affliction, but I kind of think of it as one. <laughs> it can be sometimes. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, yeah, I, I just, I just enjoy that sort of thing. And I will say, I know, um, I don't watch very many trailers, so uh, I was thinking when we do the BPs this year, we should do one for best trailer. Oh, um, but I don't watch enough that. I, but here's the thing: I don't know. Does if that include were, that includes any trailer that came out in 2014, including yeah. for a movie that comes out next year? I have pro- possibly. Uh, yeah, Avengers: I, I Age of it. Ultron. Uh, I haven't seen it, oh. but um, that teaser trailer for Hercules. I don't know if you ever. So it's the one that has the, the Ian McShane voiceover. Yeah, it was pretty solid. Yeah, that sequence that that's from in the movie doesn't suffer for having already been in the trailer. Okay. Like, it's even, I was like, I was like, I know what's coming. I know he's going to say, I am Hercules. And I know what's going <laughs> to, I'm so fucking excited. I was into it. I really enjoyed this movie. Okay. What else did you see? I saw the Kelly Reichardt film Night Moves, which I loved. Okay. I thought it was amazing. Um, what I've seen of um, Reichardt's films, I, let's, I think I've only seen Meek's Cutoff. Oh, okay. Which uh, I enjoyed, but I think Night Moves is such a is a really well made film. It is about three eco terrorists, uh, quote unquote, um, who attempt to blow up a dam. And I just I like anything that really, really shows. I mean, you know what? In its own way, it almost reminded me of a um, of a Melville film. You know, like those heist movies and such, where it just shows every detail. This shows people not really talking, but just setting about their business, being very careful about things, but also acknowledges, as Melville films often did, that no matter how how careful you can be, no matter how careful you are, um, you can't control everything. And... And you certainly cannot control the emotions of other people. And so I thought it was very powerful. Jesse Eisenberg, Dakota Fanning, and Peter Sarsgaard also uh, all giving really great performances. And it's just a nice, methodic film. And um, I, I really loved it. I, I It's it's in my uh, top ten of the year as of right now. And I really, uh, really responded to it, and I highly recommend it. Okay. You should see Old Joy. Yes, the, it was between uh, that or Old Joy. Um, Which features... Will Oldham, right? Yeah, which is strange. I don't think of him as an actor, Pro- probably he's because been in he's plenty not. of stuff. Yes, he has. He is. He is an actor. Yeah. Um, he was in. 
he was in something like before he was even famous as a musician. Like I want to say he's in like Mate One or something. Um, maybe. Uh, I think that's it. Something like that. Um, all right. Here's uh maybe the big one. Yeah, almost certainly the big one of the week for me. I saw, and we'll talk about it more in the main uh, episode with our guest. But I saw Paul Thomas Anderson's Inherent Vice. Yeah. Um, Look at you. It is fantastic. Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, I, I know like people joke about the big sleep, like that it doesn't actually make sense. And the big Lebowski kind of played on that by being convoluted, but the big Lebowski does make sense. Yeah. I don't, I would have to, I only have to watch inherent vice three or four more times to figure out if it makes sense, but it's kind of a, it's kind of thumbing its nose at that and intentionally not making any sense or not being overly concerned with whether or not the story makes sense. It doesn't really matter. I've, yeah. Because, it, 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 and comparisons to the Big Lebowski are going to be, if I haven't read that many reviews because I'm going to write my own at some point, so I have, mm-hmm. I've been steering clear. So I don't know if people have been talking about the Big Lebowski a lot already, but the comparisons are inevitable okay. because it's a stoner detective Los Angeles movie yeah. with a, a, you know, a lot of wacky things happen in a somewhat episodic nature and it has a huge cast of characters and they're all sort of, and I, I mean characters, like everyone's a little weird yeah. and there, I like, I hadn't, I don't know, I don't know what else to say. I've, I've avoided so much about it that I don't know. There are certain casting things I didn't know. Yeah. People show up in the movie and I was like, oh, I love him or her. That's and nice. so I don't want to uh, spoil that. I don't. And again, we're going to talk about it more in the, in the main episode, so I won't go into it too much. But it is um, tied with They Came Together for Funniest Film of the Year. Okay. Me, um, which I didn't necessarily expect because when Paul Thomas Anderson has done comedy before, um, it hasn't like straightforward comedy it hasn't been that kind of i hasn't had that kind of response like i understand the punch drunk love is funny yeah but i don't have i'm not like laughing out loud yeah you're too um, tense to laugh right whereas there's plenty of stuff the more i watch there will be blood there's more stuff that i laugh at oh yeah um but this is like going for it in terms of comedy and it really hits it's uh really really funny um my wife said uh something along the lines of that she wants like uh, she didn't say like um, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby, but she wants Joaquin Phoenix and Josh Brolin to just keep making <laughs> movies together because they're such a fantastic comedy team. I forget. Did you ever see The Long Goodbye? I never did. No. I think you would love it. And it is kind of the, for those that don't know, it's sort of the opposite of, um, you know, The Big Lebowski or It Sounds Like Inherent Vice, where uh, those are, you know, uh, about a very unreliable stoner as the main character in the midst of a, an actual, actually pretty serious story. The long goodbye is taking the, the, the Ray, Raymond Chandler story and Marlowe is still basically the same. He's an old, he's a private detective in a suit, but he still lives in 1970s uh, Los Angeles. And so he's walking around still being very serious and still seeming very old timey in the midst of all these hippies and such. And the story itself is still the same. It's kind of a brilliant movie, but it's sort of I had a feeling that uh, this that Long Goodbye, Big Lebowski and then Inherent Vice would make for a a really nice uh, evening of stoner detective. Yeah. Inherent Vice is two and a half hours. Oh boy, that's a long. That, um, is that a bit too long for comedy, or it seems to work for you? But it's not because it, it, because of the type of movie it, it is. Because it's, it's okay. Paul Thomas Anderson, there are there are scenes that aren't comedy scenes okay. that are that are sort of uh, unsettling and and weird. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it's fantastic. We'll talk about it more. I'll say one more thing. There's an actor. No, I I don't want to say this actor doesn't work because he works constantly. He just works in stuff that 
we don't see that often. Yeah. A lot of direct-to-video and cable movie stuff. But why is Eric Roberts not a bigger star? That he's, was, uh, he's always great in everything. That was Mickey Rourke's big thing. Uh, when he, I think Mickey Rourke won, um, I think, the Indie Spirit Award for uh, Best Actor for The Wrestler. Mm-hmm. And when he went up there, among the things he said was, hey, Eric Roberts needs to work more. Yeah. Well, Which I mean, very... if you look at Eric Roberts' IMDb, yeah. he's already got like a dozen things for 2015. Yeah. Or he's he... constantly working. Yeah. He just doesn't show up in, I guess, the stuff that would get him the respect that he definitely deserves. Well, it's odd because, I mean, he was in The Dark Knight. He yeah. played a very important role in that. But yeah. it's just... I don't know. For, and he's a very dependable actor. He's an Oscar-nominated actor for uh, Runaway yeah. Train. Yeah. So, And, I mean, he he doesn't have that many scenes in mm-hmm. Inherent Vice, though his character is actually very important, is one of the things that kicks off the story. Um, but he's 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 got, like, one main scene okay. that's fantastic. And another, another Hey, It's That Guy character actor that I know you love that also shows up for one scene very late in the movie is Martin Donovan. Hey, all right. And he's fantastic, too. Uh, all right. I um, thought he had retired from acting. That's a good. I'm excited for that. I didn't hear about that. Um, that was a few years ago that I think he said that. Uh, okay, next up. Here we go. You and I are going to be um, in disagreement on this one. Uh-oh. I saw Philip Noyce's The Giver. <laughs> okay. And while it is far from perfect, and once the actual story kicks in, it goes way too fast. Um. I'd never read the book. Okay. You grew up reading the book, correct? Yeah, I, I loved and, it. So maybe that's part of why. Maybe. I saw it with my wife. Uh, she also grew up with the book. Uh, but she also, but she actually thought the movie was pretty good. Um, it is, it's not perfect. I agree with you. I don't understand. A, I don't understand why Jeff Bridges was cast when you've got Robert Duvall. And other, well, and I mean, others, he was, Jeff others was I'm cast sure. Is because, because this was his like 20 year journey to bring it to the screen. He's yeah, the yeah, producer, yeah. He's the reason yeah. it got made. And that's the thing. He could have played that part. No, no question about it. And in a way, emotionally he did, but he layers on these things that just, man, they just bothered me so much. But, but I still, but because emotionally it was still there, I was okay with it. I thought Meryl Streep did a really good job of playing a bureaucrat, a, a well-meaning bureaucrat. That's mm. one of the things that I like is that the villains and that's the thing. Everything I like might be a function of the book. Well, no, I mean, actually, um, Meryl Streep's character is, is not entirely an invention, but is a way bigger part of the story okay. in the movie than in the book. Uh, and I would agree, actually. I like her. I, yeah, I like that. I like the way she's written. I like the way she's played because she could have just seemed insidious, but she's not, especially towards the end when things are going to come crumbling down. She's like, you realize what you're returning us to. And it, there's a real fear there and a, and probably a little bit of heartbreak in some way. And I really like I, I liked that. I liked the way Jen explained to me in the book some of the way color plays into it. Mm-hmm. I liked the way they did the color. I did have a thought about uh, the way they used music, which is it would have been nice if there was no if there was no music at all in the film up until the first time somebody pushes uh, uh, pushes one of the keys on a piano. And from then on, we get music. But then I realized, like, it's a Hollywood right. movie. It came out during the summer. They're not going to be like a black and white film with no music up until a certain <laughs> point. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I uh, so it's not it's not a perfect film. There are things that I that I was frustrated by, but it's still uh I don't know. It still resonated with me. It's uh, I, I actually liked it a lot. Probably, f- and I guess I should read the book. Yeah, I think you should because I think there's so many things that are that it, I think taking a story 
that makes sense uh, metaphorically for 12-year-olds, which is who they are in the book, mm. and making it about 16- and 17-year-olds makes it seem weirdly neutered and old-fashioned, almost like it's from the 50s, where it's like, <laughs> uh, uh, like, uh, like as if, like, 16- and 17-year-olds, and I know it just, and I know in the world, obviously, it makes sense that they don't understand romance or sexual attraction or that sort of yeah. thing, but it makes sense in the book for 12 year olds and then there's less romance, but for 12 year olds who are burgeoning or were yeah. really changing, it makes more sense metaphorically. Yeah. Whereas yeah. this seemed, uh, it's, the whole thing just felt kind of neutered and, uh, there are way too many, there's way too much. It's way too slick. The, the look of it, uh, I thought, um, Oh, I liked, I, I thought it should be slick. I mean, this is a society whose edges have been sanded off completely. So I'm okay with that. But I see I, and I picture and uh, yeah, this is really coming back to my being so attached to the book when I was mm-hmm. younger. But I picture them less as even though there are technological advancements and stuff, I picture them less as this high tech society and more like futuristic Mennonites in the book, almost and, like the village. Uh, yeah, more like the village okay. is kind of how I pictured it okay. with, with some technology in it. Um, you know, uh, that's that's how I. That's how I thought of it. So and I and I so maybe I'm just attached to my maybe memory of it. Um, yeah, I but, was uh, I was very I, because I my expectations were so low, admittedly. And we went and saw it at the Dollar Theater. Jen wanted to see it because she'd read the book, and so mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, sure, what the hell? We haven't gone out to see a movie in a while. And so um, and I was pleasantly surprised. And by the way, I do think the music by Marco Beltrami is beautiful. Um, especially the main uh, theme of the film. So I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, I don't, again, I don't think it's perfect, but I liked it a lot more than I expected to. Okay. Um, this one won't take me too long, okay. even though I liked it. But I saw Ama Asenti's Bell. Do you remember the movie? It came and went uh, months ago. But it's based on a true story about a woman whose father, uh, a girl was born, her father was uh, like, uh, you know, aristocrat in the 1800s, okay. and her mother was a slave. Okay. So she, her father gives her his name so she's part of the upper class okay in that sense but she's also half black so she's in the 1850s yeah, in england I don't know anything about this movie uh, it's gugu mbata raw you know that actress no. um oh okay um <laughs> i feel like i'd remember the name okay well i think now i think she's in a new movie now maybe beyond the lights oh uh, okay which i've heard good things about um, i've heard great things about it anyway um so it's a true story about this woman who grew up sort of between worlds like grew up on an estate where she had all the trappings of luxury but also when her family had guests for dinner she wasn't allowed to eat right with the guests um but she also wasn't allowed to eat with the servants because that would be below her so it's this weird um thing and it's the the story takes place when she's older and it's tied to an actual um case that happened about a, a a slave ship um in the 1850s that um i guess uh it's cargo quote unquote it's yeah. slaves became sick and were intentionally drowned by the okay yeah by the crew yeah uh and because the trading company was saying we'll get more money for the insurance because these slaves are insured then yeah. we will get selling them because they're sick uh and this was um brought to case as brought to court as a case of fraud yeah um and so it ties this girl's story of um becoming like sort of coming out age and looking mm-hmm. for a husband and a uh, world where that's going to be very difficult for yeah. her with this story. And it goes back and forth and it's all, it's, it really is. It does feel almost like, um, uh, not that it's 
not too specifically his style, but almost like an Aaron Sorkin thing. Okay. In that the, the dialogue is very rich and dense, and the themes and and metaphors and everything are all up on the surface. You know, okay. it's not it's not a deep film, but it's very. Um, it's very overtly about something. Yeah, and it's and it's also very very competently made and uh, well acted. Tom Wilkinson plays her. Um, I guess technically her uncle, but okay. her caretaker. Okay. And Emily Watson plays his uh, his wife. Nice. Um, Tom Felton, Draco Malfoy, yeah. is in it playing a Draco Malfoy type. Okay. <laughs> he's always playing. Will ever get to play a good guy? He's. He's always playing assholes, right? Yeah, he was in um, Rise of the Planet of the Apes as an asshole. Right. Uh, and here he's a racist asshole. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's uh, really well made. I don't have any uh, regrets about watching it. All right. And that's just called Bell? Yeah. All right. That's exciting. Um, okay. Uh, I did recently see uh, a film that I reviewed for the website called Monkey Shines. It is directed by George Romero. It came out in, I think, 1987, 88. I don't remember exactly. But uh, but yeah. And it is about... it's. Recently out via Scream Factory. Yes, yes. And the full, what's the full title? Uh, Monkey Shines an Experiment in Fear. Uh, and as I said in my review, uh, the reason they say an experiment in fear is because it's about uh, like one of those uh, Capuchin uh, helper monkeys that has been experimented on and it turns out like the experiment doesn't go well. So that's where that title comes from. Uh-huh. I take it as the screenwriter's like, Hey, let's see if a movie about a monkey can be scary. <laughs> oh, it can't? Well, all right. Back to the drawing board. I bet it can. It probably can. You know what? The monkeys at the beginning of 28 Days Later. That was pretty scary. Scary yeah, stuff, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, this, it's... I can't fault anything. The acting is great. Uh, and very very committed. It's about this, this young man who becomes a quadriplegic, so he, of course he can only move his head and all that. And just wow. dealing with the emotional impact of that. And I mean, it's pretty rough stuff. And, and that actor whose name uh, I can't call to mind, Jason uh, Bateman. Patrick. What Bateman. was that? Bateman. Jason Patrick Bateman. That's it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, uh, Jason, like, I don't know how you say the last name, like Beggy or something like that. But he's okay. he's been on a million things uh, since then, mostly TV. But he's really great as the as the young man it's got john pankow in it um stanley tucci shows up steven root is in it um and it's just a the acting is everyone's really committed to what they're doing and george romero directs it uh as best he can and actually winds up being really competent and and uh atmospheric so i like all and it's written fairly well but at its core is this capuchin monkey which are the cutest damn things you've ever seen? I, I don't like. I don't think any monkeys are cute, personally. Uh, that's, I mean, that's personal bias, like with the Giver. And my personal. Fair biases. enough. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. You you bring a lot of bias into Monkey Shines. Yeah, <laughs> and so it's just one of those things that I watch it and I think, man, g- God bless them all. This was never going to work. It was based on a book. And you know what? In books, you can imagine a a scary monkey. In life, you have to actually have a monkey. And now we can all see it. And it doesn't look scary. Uh, But yeah, so I saw Monkey Shines. And it's just ridiculous. Um, All right. I saw a Swiss film called The Circle. Okay. I'm not sure how to describe it. I'm not sure if it's a based on a true story narrative film with extensive interviews with the actual subjects. Okay. Or if it's a documentary with extension, extensive dramatizations, it okay. really is that kind of balance. Um, and 
it's very it's it's very interesting and well made it's not gonna I think it's a little too inelegant and um, stodgy to really work its way into your heart. But uh, it's a it's an interesting movie about um, uh, Zurich, Switzerland. In the, I've been there. Okay. Well, in the post World War II, it, it, it takes place mostly in the fifties and into the late sixties. From the post World War II era, Zurich was one of the only, or Switzerland, I guess, was one of the only places in that part of the world where there was no law against being gay. Oh, and okay. so there was this magazine um, called The Circle that was uh, specifically by and for gay men. Okay. All, and it was, had readers all over the world, and it was based – it had German, French, and English um, productions. And it was – you know, it had subscribers love, and they would – and it, so The Circle was like this uh, – it was also a club you could be a part of. You could be if you were a subscriber to the magazine. You're also a part of the club, and they had yeah. like twice yearly huge, uh, like balls they would throw. You know, costume parties or whatever. Um, but uh, and it's, it's all based on a true story. This couple who one one of them was the main like drag performer at the show, mm-hmm. and the other one was a guy who was a teacher and also ended up working for the magazine. And they're a couple to to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the documentary part, but also. Uh, I guess starting in the mid to late fifties, there were a string of gay men getting murdered by um, hustle like prostitutes, male prostitutes. Um, and even though these prostitutes, like the circle, so the sorry, the male prostitutes were the murderers or yes, the victims, the murderers. Oh, okay, or maybe there was just one. They don't really. Okay, basically, all of a sudden, there's this rash of violence that's in the gay community, but these prostitutes are very much not a part of the circle, and that's by the 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 founder. His name is Rolf the the character um he's not one of the interview subjects because he's since uh died but um he by his design he didn't want that part of the world to be associated with what he was interesting doing but because there's this rash of violence suddenly the authorities in zurich are it essentially turns into a witch hunt and they're targeting right, right. and they want the they like they want the circle magazine to uh give hand over their subscriber list so they have the addresses and they can register all the gay people all the gay men in zurich uh, and this is all based on a real true thing, true series of events that happened. And you got interviews with this couple and a couple of other people who survived from that time and uh, recreations, sort of in, re- dramatizations in equal part. Uh, it's a very interesting movie. That uh, sounds interesting. I, I wish there, I wish it were a little more artful, but it's um, very interesting. And it is Switzerland's um, entry for foreign language film. Oh, year. nice. Okay. Anything else for you? Yes, I saw. I went to that uh, same theater last night and saw a late movie, and uh, of course, afterwards walked home. Very uh, walked to my uh, car in a very lonely and frightening way. Um, and the film that I saw did not help my melancholy mood, which was <laughs> Bennett Miller's Foxcatcher. Oh yeah, which I saw, and you saw it as well, correct? Yes, and we will, we shouldn't go into too much about it because we will be talking about it um, in the main episode. Oh okay. All right. Oh well, then I will hold. I will hold off on a, uh, my detailed um, uh, response to it. But I will say that uh, I loved Capote. Uh, Moneyball was my favorite movie of that year. Foxcatcher didn't like that much, but of course, elements of it. Uh, well, sorry, I didn't love it. It still it, ranks pretty it, high. You in seem my... to be with the majority. Yeah. I've said, as I said earlier, I don't read other people trying to read other people's reviews before I write my own. Yeah, I loved Foxcatcher. Fox it's my favorite Bennett Miller film so far. Interesting. And I am finding myself in the minority there, at yeah. least among the critics that I read. Yeah, it's 
there's still there's still a lot of good in there, and I will say that uh, from an awards standpoint, it is a shame that only Steve Carell and Mark Ruffalo are the ones getting not, uh, discussed because Channing, Channing Tatum, Tatum oh. does some pretty. I think he does some pretty. Don't get me wrong; the I other just, two are great too. I think Mark Ruffalo is amazing. Um, I just but Channing Tatum, my, uh, I think. Phase one ballot for the online film critics is that which okay. is essentially like the nominations for the nominations for the nominations. Okay, and I put Channing Tatum as uh, in my top five supporting actors. So now the argument is: is he supporting? I don't think he is. Uh, I think he has a better chance of being seen that. Way. Oh, absolutely, no question about it. But I mean, really, I feel like he's the lead, and the other two are supporting. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, and, I don't the, know. I mean, the that's, dynamic, hard, that's hard to say. Yeah, it's and it's but it's also hard to talk about. I don't yeah. know to what extent the what happens at the end is a spoiler because it's a real thing that happened yeah um i didn't know the full story when i saw the movie Mm -hmm. um yeah so i don't i and i think that helped um knowing like there's a sense of dread that hangs over the whole movie but it kind of was interesting to me to not know exactly what i was dreading yeah i i knew the story going in and so and by the way when you know what to dread uh that doesn't help (laughs) um but it it really it adds a, a a real sadness to to everything knowing what's going to happen. But uh, but yeah, it's a really uh, it's a really uh, effective film uh, emotionally. And I I can't. There's a lot of things. It's an example of a movie that I feel like that that concept of a movie being the sum of its parts or like equal to or less than. I feel like it is not. I think all the parts are pretty great. Added up, I feel like it is maybe exactly equal to the sum of its parts. I don't think it's greater. I'm not sure if I'd say it's less than, but I think it winds up being just right there. Well, we'll talk about it more. Indeed. In the episode. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by a movie I saw this week. Okay. Um, And it is, yeah, it's that time of year where it's mostly going to be new movies. I don't don't want the listeners to think because this is a new feature that it's all going to be like the new stuff we've seen. You talked about Monkey Shines. If I had seen more older stuff, we'd be talking about it, but I'm mostly seeing current stuff. Uh, or current-ish stuff. But I finally caught up with uh, Josh Boone's The Fault in Our Stars. It's fantastic. Really? Interesting. But also, if if if, if you're listening to this and you hated it, I get it. Yeah. I get why you hated it. Uh, it worked for me um, mostly in the sense that it didn't try to make its teenage characters somehow cooler or smarter than the average smart teenager. Mm-hmm. Um and it also didn't try to be too specific. Uh, basically, I often hate movies about teenagers. Okay. Um, because they um, either yeah they either try to make them seem like little adults, which is um, right annoying to me. Like teenagers are sometimes embarrassing and juvenile, and uh, often in the sense that uh, they often end up being embarrassing in trying to be more like adults. Yeah. And the fault in our stars really gets that. Uh, and is really humanistic about about these kids. Um, but that, another thing it also does that it's very hard to do. Um, these kids bond through um, pop or culture, cultural stuff that they share, and what the like how much they love the shins and stuff. Right, but they don't. Basically, it's a book that ties them together. Okay. But it's a book that's an invention for the movie. Nice. And it but it plays like you really like it's subtle enough that you really could think like, I gotta look up this book when I get out of the movie theater. But it's made up. And so it gets like Kevin Klein's character in uh, Orange County. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um 
and eventually we do meet the author so you know that because it's played he's played by william defoe you go okay that isn't a real book um but it really gets the way that you know i i I, i'm mostly comparing this to movies that i hate and why i liked it so much for not being that um i think that's a perfectly legit reason to like something uh there are so many movies that try to be about like the sort of outsidery smart like art interested type of kids in high school yeah and, and and which is exactly what i was and somehow it falls in a lot of those movies fall into an uncanny valley where they're trying so hard to be like yeah. my real experience that it repels me yeah whereas shailene woodley and um ansel elgort play characters that i can't really pick like oh yeah i knew people exactly like that but they just sort of generally feel like kids i knew in high school and it gets the way that kids relate especially sort of smart ish kids yeah um and weird kids and also I mean, i'm glossing over the fact that this is a cancer movie that's a tearjerker yeah um but what i wanted to talk about i talked about on the on the podcast um a couple months ago uh the movie if i stay which yeah. i didn't like and yet i bawled throughout the whole thing i didn't really ball but i i cried a ton in in if i stay because that's what it's manufactured to don't do. you hate that like whereas the fault in our stars which i liked quite a bit didn't cry nearly as much i'm not gonna say i was dry eyed because yeah. it's a tough it was a tough movie to do that during but i didn't cry nearly as much as i was prepared to and i uh, so i think because it's a more honest film it's not manipulative in that way no. um yeah I, I really really enjoyed the fault in our stars yeah yeah the um I remember the last time I think that happened was in uh, I saw Into the Storm and there's a scene where these characters are probably going to die and they're saying their goodbyes and it, the actors do an okay job and I remember in that moment you know the music is coming in which it's odd that there's mu- music in a found footage film but whatever um, and and in that moment you know the way they're saying goodbye to their family I think it's it was fairly well written but whatever I, that's me trying to justify in that moment, I, I was getting, you know, teary-eyed. I, I tend not to sob really at anything, but um, but I was getting teary-eyed. And in my mind, I was like, what? stop it. This <laughs> film has not at all earned this from you. Don't give it to the film. Don't just don't just give it to them. Like, let them let them uh, deserve it. But they certainly didn't. But they still got me. But and that's and that's the thing is some movies will play up certain things that just inherently will make you feel that way. Uh, and uh, that doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean that they're engaging you. It just means that they're pushing certain buttons that everybody has. Um, but yeah, I guess I got to see The Fault in Our Stars. When I first saw that trailer, I remember thinking like, wow, this is just, they're just doing everything, aren't they? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but uh, but I like Sh- uh, Shailene Woodley enough that yeah. I feel like uh, and her, I've heard great um, things about her. And her mom is played, played by Laura Dern fantastically. Oh, I like that. Um, her dad is played by Sam Trammell or Sam Trammell. Name sounds um, familiar. People who watch True Blood know who he is. Okay. He's a regular on True Blood. Okay. Um, I've got more. Anything else for you? Uh, no, but okay, we I'll do t- have I'll tear uh, through the rest someone... of these. That's all right. He, okay. He's a friend. Okay. Um, I saw a documentary called Elena. Um, oh, yes. Uh, by uh, a Brazilian woman named Petra Costa. That uh, this, it's beautiful. It's basically this. I don't know. Uh, For the, months, Facebook seemed to think I would really want to see it. Okay. Um, did they tell you what it's about? Because, again, I never know if it's supposed to be. The, uh, no. Okay. Um, basically, it's 
a, it's a documentary about a woman. This woman um, made a documentary that's sort of a letter to her older sister who is no longer around. Okay. Um, and it's only about 80 minutes long, and it's it's almost – it's such an incredibly personal film that I almost feel weird, like, telling you about it right now. Okay. Like, I almost feel like it's, like – something that this woman confided in me that I shouldn't mm. let, like, cause it's so personal. Like talking about it seems somehow cheap. Right. Um, whereas, but I mean, actually that should be obviously my impul- impulse. I should be telling everyone about it because it's really, really great. And, uh, it's vying for best documentary, I guess, okay. um, uh, this year. And I, I hope we get some attention, uh, along those lines. Um, Tim Robbins and, uh, Fernando Moraes are producers. Okay. Um, so I think it's getting some buzz because it has their names okay. behind it. Um, and then I'll real quick, uh, do my TV catch up. Uh, I talked about over the garden, garden wall last week. That's great. Modern families on a great tear recently okay. after, after all these years. Um, have you heard, you'd love this. Have you heard of a BBC, uh, BBC America miniseries called the game? I guess it's just a series. Uh, no. It's a um, 70s uh, Cold War spy thing. It takes mm. place in London. Uh, Brian Cox is not the lead. Brian Cox is, is the one actor that you would probably recognize. Okay. I know. Um, but it's basically the the this cell of uh, British secret agents has someone's some Soviet agent has turned and they find out, okay, there's this huge, massive Soviet plan called Operation Glass. Yeah. And they keep sort of you know getting more and more agents but it's such a huge thing that no one agent they find knows the whole story so they're trying to put together this puzzle before the soviets do whatever operation glass is but there's also this other element of making sure the soviets don't figure out that they're figuring this out that's neat um and then it's also sort of cut with the main character joe a year before had been stationed in poland and fell in love with a polish woman and actually was going to uh, defect mm-hmm. uh, and then ended up getting taken hostage and ended up being returned to the u.s so you're seeing these flashbacks of you seeing this guy fighting for his country in the modern day and flashbacks to a year before where he's considering betraying his country yeah. and so there's this ongoing theme with all most of the like agents that they encounter are british nationals who have mm-hmm. defected and so there's this ongoing question of what makes a person turn their back on their country um I don't know that it gets to that question as well as the Americans does on FX. The, okay. the, the show's garnered a lot of comparisons to the Americans, um, and I don't think it's quite that good. But it's a good yarn so far, and it's only six episodes. I'm three I'm three episodes into the six-episode <laughs> series. Um, and then last thing I want to mention this week is The Birthday Boys, which I haven't talked about yet uh, this season at all on uh, – barely at all on Hey, Watch This. So um, do you know The Birthday Boys? I know of it, yes. Um, well, they're uh, – Los Angeles sketch comedy troupe. Mm. Uh, and this season has, I mean, there's, this is their second season. It's still very funny. It hasn't been quite up to their first season. I don't think, mm-hmm. but this most recent episode called love date hump, uh, was hilarious. And it had, it's so up my alley. It had a sketch that was like a nineties, like basic cable, sexy soap opera, like a silk, silk stockings type right. thing, <laughs> except so it was, it was that except all the characters names are like, Myrtle and Mavis and Filbert. <laughs> so they're like saying all they're all this soap opera like passionate stuff, but uh it's all these like sort of funny old people names. And that's the entire, entire joke of it. And it's uh I was I was laughing so I like I later went to tell 
my wife about it and i was like there's a really funny sketch she was like yeah i could tell like apparently i was just like <laughs> guffawing on the couch alone that sounds delightful uh I, I forgot that we were talking about tv on that we could talk about tv as well yeah uh, there's not much that i keep up with uh i there's no amazing race this week i know which actually was kind of nice because I wasn't able to watch it anyway. But uh, I do watch Survivor, and it's, again, still very surreal to see my friend Reed there. Uh-huh. Jen and I are going to be at the finale in Los Angeles. Really? Which, yeah, it's very exciting. But, um, but yeah, uh, I do keep up with Gotham. Uh, it is not a show. Here's the thing. It, it would take probably three relatively small changes for that show to be very good, if not great. It just needs – hopefully in the second season they'll make those changes – uh, there are things that are there are things that are great about it, but it just uh, it's so frustrating. It just needs to be tightened up a little bit. Um, and uh, I really like, unsurprisingly, I really like what they're doing with uh, a young Bruce Wayne and Alfred, specifically Alfred, and the where the way they're making him into. When you think about it, and we don't we think of Alfred as a mentor, we don't think of him as a huge enabler, right. which is what he is. Yeah. And this is a and the, and last week's episode they really emphasize. Yeah, he's I mean, he's trying to empower Bruce Wayne, but he's also bringing him into a pretty shitty life in many ways. It's it's really interesting. But um, and then uh, I do watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which I really enjoy. Um, I like that they are finding things to do with cast members that are ostensibly like the straight men, but they still find ways to make Mm -hmm. them interesting, like Dave Foley in news radio, like Jason Bateman in Arrested Development. Um, and then I just today started watching a Netflix series, uh, that I'm not sure if it started on Netflix. In in fact, I'm pretty sure it didn't called Peaky Blinders. Okay. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, you know what? It's a fun name. It sure is. Uh, and it's got Killian Murphy and Sam Neill and apparently Tom Hardy at some point and beautiful production value. Um, it has elements of Boardwalk Empire. It has elements of Deadwood, except that I care about those. (laughs) <laughs> this I'll probably give it another few episodes, but after a while, I f- I feel terrible saying this, but I know that I know that this is oh well, this is about the this is about the British mob in the nineteen teens, so that's spe- the specifics of that make it different. I recognize that, but somehow it feels like nothing. It feels like something like everything I've seen before, right. like it. And uh, I'll give it I'll give it some time, but man, it just. It's. I feel bad when I, whenever I watch something and just think, I don't give a shit about you. <laughs> I know I should, and I know I, in the past maybe I would, but right now, you're not giving me anything I haven't seen before. So that's Peaky Blinders. But anyway, yeah. so we we had to, we had to rush to the end there because yeah. we have some waiting. So um, that's another uh, BP Movie Journal, um, and we'll see you in a few days for the main episode. Absolutely. Bye.